You guys act like you really like each other. That's great, man. What a great place to be on this Lord's Day. Every day is a Lord's Day. We worship together on Sunday, but I hope you're worshiping every day in your home, wherever you are. Love you. Patrick's with us this morning. Patrick's mom passed away unexpectedly this week, and uh, we need to pray for him, lift him up before you. Also, um, Kayla's had a good friend who had a loved one pass away in childbirth this week. And so there's people that need prayer all around this room. Some of you have deep burdens that nobody even knows about. But listen, the one we just sang to, he knows about it. And he loves you. And I'm so thankful for a place to come like this and a band that leads us in worship. And we pray together every morning. Pastor Brian leads us in prayer. We got like 20 people praying together with volunteers. And God's just doing something great. But he wants to do something greater in our church. He wants to do something greater in your heart and mine. And if you sang those songs just now and it didn't move you at the core of your being, might I say to you lovingly, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. If you can't connect with God, and this morning, that's really what this is about. This message, this series is about connecting with God on a deeper level of faith than ever before. We're asking the question, what if? What if we really believe God and everything that he says in his word and we trusted him and we submitted to everything that he said in his word? How different would our families be? How different would our love be for our mate? How different would it be with raising our children and managing our finances and getting through the work week? What if we truly believe God? He can move mountains. So we're in this series. Uh, we're in week five. Week one was we live by faith. Everything for a Christian, everything is faith-based. If it's not, you're off in that area somewhere. We live by faith. Week two was we worship by faith. And Abel brought the right sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, and trusted God for it. We walk by faith. Enoch walked with God, and he walked on to heaven to be with God one day. And week four was we work by faith. And today we're going to get to maybe the hardest one. We wait by faith. Now let me say this. If you're not doing the first four, living worshiping, walking, and working by faith, it's going to be almost impossible to wait by faith. You're going to be frustrated. Because waiting on God doesn't mean just sitting on the couch and, and uh, vegging out on uh, YouTube. Waiting for God and waiting and trusting God that he's coming for us one day, and he is, whether you believe it or not, he's coming Waiting for God is not just sitting around being passive. It's living for him and living by faith and worshiping and walking and working by faith. Everything we do is motivated by him. And, you know, I had a, a conversation with a brother this week, a very educated man in our church, brother that I love. And we were just talking about what it really means to surrender to Christ. And this person that sort of says a lot of people's impressions might be that unless you're a pastor or a missionary, or something like that in vocational ministry, that maybe you just, you just can never quite get there to that level of really being surrendered to God. And I said, I'm sad that a lot of people think like that, because listen, all throughout the Bible, 
There were the preachers and the pastors, the missionaries, but the people with the boots on the ground in the workplace were the people that had to rub shoulders with people every day that didn't know God and that, that led people to Christ. So you don't, God might call you to be a pastor and he might call you to be a missionary. That'd be wonderful. He, he probably in your life and in many of your lives, he's going to call you to stay right where you are and to bloom where you're planted and to be powerful witness for God and to win people to Jesus that Brian and I never can. To be a homemaker, to raise babies for the kingdom of God. Whoever said that family is not kingdom work? So today we want to talk, we want to ask this question this. What if I waited patiently while serving expectantly in power? What if that's the way I waited? I waited patiently for Jesus and for his reward and for his blessings here and later. What if I waited patiently while serving expectantly in power? And then I want to add this on. And surrendered all to Christ by faith. If I surrendered everything, this morning I, I believe if we're honest, and God's been working in my heart this week, and he's been burdening me for today, believing God for something great. And I, I believe that we're just this close to a breakthrough, and maybe it's today. When we truly, as the church here at Celebration in Wilkes, North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, when we say, God, I'm going to put it all on the altar today. I'm not going to hold back anything. I'm tired of playing halfsies with you. I'm tired of sharing your glory and being one foot in the world and one foot out. What if I waited patiently while serving expectantly in power and surrendered all to Christ? Well, patience requires perspective. If you don't understand, the Bible teaches that there's way more to come than even that we have here. But while we're waiting, we can rejoice and we can enjoy this life now. And we can be fruitful and we can walk with God today. But there's way more ahead. Waiting patiently requires perspective. It requires expectancy. And it requires power, supernatural power. And some of you are trying to walk and live the Christian life in your own power and strength. And you're constantly defeated. You cannot do it without supernatural power. So take your Bibles this morning. We're in Hebrews 11. For those of you just joining us, we're looking at what we call the heroes of faith. And I kind of hate using the word hero because they were average, ordinary men and women just like me and you. But they believed in a powerful God who was greater than all their problems and all their pain. And they just trusted God. They simply believed what God said, and they did it. And God did the right things through them. So this morning, we come to a man named Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation and the father of Christian belief who set the example and raised the bar for us by believing God for the impossible. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19. Would you stand with me as we read the word of God? Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself, 
his wife, received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as, as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but seeing them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, that they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Would you pray with me? God... Help us to learn from your servant Abraham and the faith that he had to give everything, 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 everything back to you as an offering. Bring us to that place today. Every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. First thing we need to understand this morning as we walk by faith and we're going to wait patiently while serving in expectancy and in power is that I am on a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage. We don't use that term too much. We might say we're going on a trip. We're going on a vacation. Maybe some of you have uh, excursions and you actually have a vehicle called an excursion and you go on an excursion and an excursion. Well, this is what we're talking about. A pilgrimage is an excursion. It's a journey. It's a long journey. It's not a sprint. It's not a trip to the grocery store to get eggs and milk before a storm. By the way, we need to pray for the people in Florida and continue to pray for the people in uh, North Carolina from that storm in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. I can't believe uh, my, some of our family's power is still out up in Reedsville. So we need to pray for those people. But it's not a trip to the grocery store. It's not a short stint. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a journey. We're on a pilgrimage. In fact, if you have your program, hold it up for me this morning, the program that you were given. Okay, look on the front of that. That, that picture, there's so many things in that picture, but the thing I want to point out to you now is that forward-moving arrow to the right. That means we're on a journey. We're walking by faith one step at a time. We're headed in a direction. We're moving together, or we're trying to. We're trying to move together on a pilgrimage and a journey. And that journey is forward-looking, not looking back. I was talking to somebody this week who's overcoming addictions in their lives. And by the way, if you're looking, if you're watching online, welcome. Those of you who are away, we miss you. We're glad that you're able to catch us online. If you're homesick, we're praying for you today. We're so, so thankful that you tuned in to watch. But we're on a pilgrimage. We're moving forward from unbelief to belief. To not believe God is to go to hell. To not believe God is to miss him on this earth as well. And the joy, the passion, 
that he can bring into your life. I'm on a pilgrimage from unbelief to belief. I'm on a pilgrimage, pilgrimage from the flesh to the spirit. Now, we have flesh, and we think of bones and body and material and physical matter. But when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about this principle that goes opposite direction from God. We're not on that pilgrimage if we know Jesus. We're on a pilgrimage away from the old, and we're moving in the direction of Jesus, trying to become like him. And boy, we struggle, don't we? Anybody struggle this week besides me? Anybody struggle with doubt and insecurity and failure and fear? Yes. We're on a journey away from that, though. We're journeying towards God from unbelief to belief, from the flesh to the spirit, from bondage to freedom. And some of you are still in bondage. And you know that God's been wanting to free you from that bondage for a long time, but you haven't yet yielded it to him. Today is the day for that movement. We're on a journey from bondage to freedom. We're on a journey from earth to heaven. The old southern gospel song, this world's not my home, I'm just a passing through. We're passing through. We're pilgrims and strangers, we learn in this passage. And we need to make the best of it because God has us here for a reason. We're not here just to pass through and just bide our time. We're here to thrive. No extra charge, Perrine, for that advertisement. We're here to thrive for Jesus. We're here to walk with him today, but man, we are headed somewhere far beyond our wildest expectation, far greater than any Disney world, from earth to heaven. Look at verse 8. We're going to break down the passage now that we read. Verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, some of you think, man, Abraham was no, nothing special. Every time my husband gets in the car and goes on a trip, he never knows where he's going. And he won't look at the map. Well, this is not the same. He had a residence in a country, and God said, I'm going to lead you to far, far away, and I'm not going to give you a specific direction. I'm not going to give you a map. I'm not going to give you a GPS. But I'm, I want you, in faith, to step away from where you've been and step in the direction that I'm leading you and take one step at a time. And the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's not just Abraham. That's us. He said, I've never seen heaven. I've never seen God. I've never heard an audible voice. But folks, he has revealed himself to us through his word, through his creation, through his Holy Spirit, through his son, Jesus Christ. He's made himself real. And though we haven't seen him, yet we anticipate that day that we physically see him. But right now we're walking by faith. If you're trying to walk the Christian life and be like Jesus without believing God for the impossible, you're walking a vain pilgrimage. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I want to quote one of the famous theologians of our time, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh says this, I always get where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. I always get where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. I just went recently, and we saw Christopher Robin. The movie's cute, cute, cute movie. But I love the way he says, just so simply, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. Where have you been, and where does God want to take you? But you have to be willing to walk away from where you've been to get to where you want to go. Man, why do we keep making the same sinful mistakes over and over again? 
keep walking in that wrong direction. And God throws us down on the ground in discipline and he brings us to the end of ourselves. and we get up and we dust ourselves off and we head in the right direction. God says, in order to get where you're going, you got to walk away from where you've been. What is it that God's asking you to walk away from this morning? We gave you the quote a couple of weeks ago, your life always goes in the direction of your strongest thought. Where your mind is focusing what you're thinking about, what you're watching on the television and on the internet and what you're reading and who you're listening to is going to determine the direction that you're going because your life always goes in the direction of your strongest thought. Where is your mind focused? If I don't get to where I'm going, i got to walk away from where I've been. And some of you this morning, this morning before you leave this building, God's going to ask you to walk away from something and you need to do it by faith today. Don't waste another day. What are you walking away from? What are you walking towards? So I'm on a pilgrimage. It's a long journey. It's a marathon. It's a lifelong journey. It's not a sprint. Secondly, I must trust God's promises. I must trust God's promises, not political promises, not a political party's promises, not the modern minds of the day's promises, The promises of Almighty God who made you. Are you going to trust him or are you going to trust other voices? If I'm going to get through this pilgrimage and go and do it victoriously, I've got to trust God's promises. Because, listen, you can write this down. God's promises are our hope. You feel hopeless? Listen, I don't understand this. I don't understand why every week... This place isn't packed out so much that we have to have overflow. I don't understand it because we have an awesome band. They do a great job leading us to the throne of grace to worship God. And we try to teach the word of God in power. We, we, we got an old school, but man, it's a nice facility and we're working on fixing it up. But listen, the hope that I get, that I get every week when I come and worship with you and hear you sing the songs of the faith, I don't want to miss it. I'm not going to miss it because it rains or because I'm tired or a little bit sore. Now, sometimes there's things that we have to miss for. Listen, if you can be here every week, your hope will be strengthened. Stop missing for everything in the world and get here with hope in your hearts for the things of God. And you say, well, maybe I'm full of hope. Well, maybe the person next to you isn't and they need you. God and his promises are my hope. Listen. I would have quit long time ago in this thing called life if it wasn't for the hope that God provides in his word and through his people and by his Holy Spirit. I must trust God's promises because they're my hope. Look at verse 9. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise. Another way of saying hope. He had hope for something better. In a land of promises, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So this is his family. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless this nation. It's going to take some time. You've got to walk by faith. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, he's not talking about Jerusalem there. He's talking about heaven. His ultimate destination. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah, his wife, Herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. How would you like to have that said about you guys? 
My husband, he's as good as dead. He's almost dead. He's almost one foot in the grave. Being born, descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Abraham's body was past the age of reproduction. Sarah's body was past the age of reproduction. And God, yet God said, through you, I'm going to bring multitudes of people into this world through whom Jesus Christ will come and he will give you hope and he will bring salvation and he will bring you to heaven and he will bring you to your destination. Amen? And Sarah laughed at first, remember? Huh, what? I mean, my body, I, I mean, things aren't happening there anymore. And, and my husband, well, he's as good as dead. And she laughed. And they, God brought them, moved them from a place of maybe questioning and doubt to a place of faith that they moved forward to a place that God showed them even though as human beings they struggled. I must trust God's promises. Verse, Romans chapter 4 verse 18 says this. In hope, in, in, go home today and read Romans chapter 4 because it tells a lot more about Abraham and how God viewed Abraham and his faith. But in verse 18 of Romans 4 it says this. In hope he believed against hope. You ever been there where like, don't really see any promise of hope for my finances, for my marriage? For my, my prodigal child. For our country. For that relationship in my family that has just been on my heart for so long and I'm still bitter about it. Here it says of Abraham in hope, he believed against hope. It didn't look like there was any hope, but he believed God. He trusted God that he should become the father of many nations. As he's been told, so shall your offspring be. So in hope, he believed against hope. What is it that's going to take you to knock you down and keep you down? The Bible says the righteous fall many times, but he's never utterly cast down. We hope against hope. We hope in the worst of circumstances, in the most dire of circumstances, because God is able. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 is a great promise that we can claim. We're going to trust God's promises. 1 John 4, 4, I memorized as a child. It says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for greater, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I always have to look because I memorized in a different translation. So when I say you, I memorized a verse and I stumble, I'm not lying. Memorize it in a different verse. Uh, the, ver the version, the King James Version, I memorize it says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This one says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he's in, in the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's greater than your greatest problem? I love the graphic that Dustin came up with for it's two mountains like uh, imposed against each other. And God says, If you have just a little faith, you can move a what? A mountain. In hope, he believed against hope. We're on a pilgrimage. We must claim God's promises. And number third, number three, number third. Number third, I need to exercise patience. And your wife is, yep. <laughs> your husband is, yep. Your parents, your children, yep. They need some patience, Right? I need to exercise patience. I heard a message years ago when I was in college called Payday Someday. My Bible teacher in high school, she was a, a teacher in the public schools and was supported as a missionary, taught Bible. 
later on, they had to, our government went kind of crazy that from then on, they had to go off campus and get on a bus and study the Bible instead of using the building that God had provided because separation of church and state became so crazy and so ridiculous. But my Bible teacher in high school, she used to say this, I'm a Bible teacher in the public schools and the pay's not that great, but the retirement plan is out of this world. I don't have a big 401k, a great retirement plan. I don't have a lot of money in the bank, but Lent, I believe against hope. I hope against hope. And I, with patience, I wait. I exercise patience because payday's coming someday. Moms, you might feel like nobody ever appreciates you, the things you do at home and the kind of things that a mother and a, a wife and a homemaker does. Dads, you might feel like you're just a paycheck. I know a lot of men that feel like that. I exercise patience because payday is coming someday. It's a marathon, not a sprint. i got to take the long view. Look at verse 13. I need to exercise patience. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Uh-oh. What? God promised something for the nation that never happened in their lifetime. In Abraham's or Isaac's or Jacob's in their lifetime. Never happened in their lifetime. But they died. And in fact, they died with such faith that God was going to get the nation to where he promised that they should bury my bones there. When you move from place to place, pick up my old crotchety, raggedy, dry bones in the coffin and move them to the place and take me to the place because I believe by faith that God's going to get us as a nation to where he promised. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They had long-distance vision. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Listen, the reason so many people are discontent with their walk with God is because they become too settled on the earth. Too much stuff of the earth becomes too important. And I'm distracted, and I've got to work my fingers to the bone every week to pay for all the stuff that I got and I don't really need. And we become so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. They recognize that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, for the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Our homeland security is all wrapped up in Jesus. Verse 15, if they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, in other words, Egypt, remember sometimes someone said, hey, there was, there was at least leeks and garlic back there. Some of the early generations said, but no, they didn't go back there. They could have gone back there. They could have made the trek back to where they came from. But in order to get to where you're going, you've got to leave where you've been. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God, listen, I love this testimonial. This is on their tombstone, so to speak, immortalized in Scripture about these simple people like me and you who simply believe God. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Wow. Because... You live by faith, and you trust God for the impossible things. Could it be said about you that God's not ashamed to be your God? That's a great testimony. Well, wouldn't that be great to get somebody else to put on your tombstone? God was not ashamed to be called their God. 
These were worldly men. Uh, worldly men hold fast to the world, okay? People who are entranced and implanted and don't consider themselves exiles and pilgrims on the earth like we find in these people did. Worldly men hold fast to the world, but believers sit loose to it. I don't have to have that. I don't have to have those. She's got one of those, but I don't have to have one of those. Do you sit loose to the things of the world or you hold fast to the things of the world? Exiles, sojourners, that means they're temporary. They're by the way sojourners. They, they're just people that kind of pack up and move. They realize that they're not going to stay forever. You know, when we used to live in South Africa and we traveled back and forth between our homeland and our country of permanent residence, I realized that I had an American passport, I had a South African identity document that made me a permanent resident of that country, but my my home was heaven. And when you travel, when you go on a vacation, you go on a short journey, you're a sojourner and a pilgrim, you don't take everything with you. Oh, some of you get close, right? I've seen some of the motorhomes, right? Like, Whoa, that's not camping, that's taking your home with you. Okay, so exiles, sojourners, they live by sojourners along the way. When you go on a trip, even in an RV, you don't take everything that you have. You at least leave the kitchen sink at home, right? God is not ashamed of those who exercise patient faith, those who have an exile perspective, those who know where home is. Do you know where your home is? If somebody asks you your address, I'll say 510 Townsend Street right off the top of my head, but if I really go deep, I know that's not really my home. Heaven's my home. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. i got to exercise patience. Be patient, James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He is coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. Payday's coming someday. I heard a quote years ago. I want you to write this down. It says this, never sacrifice your future on the altar of the immediate. Oh, that's tweetable right there. Somebody tweet that right now. Never sacrifice your future on the altar of the immediate. Okay, young people, let's take it in context. You, you get sexually attracted to somebody and you're not married to them and God's wanting you to save yourself for your mate, but you go out and you get involved sexually with people before you're married to this man or this woman. You sacrifice a lot of your future for a present urge. You go out and spend money you don't have for things you don't need to impress people that you don't know. And your credit card bill comes and you've sacrificed your future financial security for your present greed, not need. Come on now, I'm preaching better than you're listening. I hate when people say that, but I got to say it every now and then. Listen. Are you patiently waiting on your future reward? Never sacrifice your future on the altar of the immediate. Colossians 3.2 says this, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Where's your mindset? Where's your focus? Where are your priorities? You can tell where your priorities are by looking at your checkbook, by looking at your schedule, and looking at the way you spend your free time. It 
set your minds on things above. When we set our minds on heaven, we'll be patient with the things on earth, right? When we're frustrated, when we don't have everything that we want. When we set our minds on heaven, we'll be patient with the things on earth. So I'm on a pilgrimage. I must trust God's promises. I need to exercise patience. Number four, I rely on his power, not my own power. I rely on his power. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Remember the story? Some of you may not have been raised in church, but the story is this. Abraham, God promises him that through him and Sarah, God's going to provide a son, and through that son, multitudes of nations will come. They get impatient, Sarah particularly, and she says, hey, take this handmaid, this servant girl, and impregnate her because it don't look like it's going to happen with me. And they got impatient after waiting something like 17 years after God had promised and still hadn't happened. By the way, ironically, through Ishmael, that son of that relationship, came the Arab nations that have been at odds with the nation of Israel ever since. They sacrificed their future on the altar of the immediate. So they still wait. So 25 years after this, he was 75 when he got the promise, and he was 99 when finally she got pregnant. Miraculously, their bodies were dead, and God brought life from the dead, and that's what he does, isn't it? He brings life to dead things. Your marriage, your home, your finances, your relationships, your church, your friendships. God brings life to dead things. He's considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead. So he gets his son, and then his son gets to be a teenager, and God tests Abraham's mettle. He says, look, I, I got an assignment for you. I want you to go up on the mountain. I want you to take some wood and some fire. I want you to take your son as a sacrifice. I want you to put him on the altar and tie him up. And I want you to plunge a knife into his heart. He said, wow, that's pretty sicko of God. Okay, listen, God is God. God made us. God can do anything he wants. But listen, Abraham went up the mountain and the servant said, hey, where are you going? And the son said, hey, I see everything, but I don't see a sacrifice. And Abraham said, God will provide. And he said to the servant, the boy and I will come back. What did he, what did he think? Did he think he wasn't going to have to do it? I don't think he thought that in a minute because the Bible says he, he thought that God could raise the dead. He said, look, God, everything belongs to you, including my son that I waited for 25 years for. And this seems to be the only hope of fulfilling this promise. And yet, God, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. I trust you in the impossible situation. And he really went to that altar expecting to take the life of his son, but expecting God to raise him up. Remember the end of the story? He's ready to plunge the knife. And God said, wait, look over there. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. He'll go from a son on the altar to a lamb in a thicket. There was a picture hundreds of years later of the Lamb of God on the cross taking our place. Amen.
Abraham didn't hold back even his most precious possession. He relied on God's power. From a son on the altar to a ram in the thicket to a lamb on the cross to the empty tomb, Genesis 18, 14 says this, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So this was before he was ever came, came about. God says, it's going to happen. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I think some of us have not gotten to the place in our pilgrimage yet where we, don't, where we really believe that nothing is too hard for God. So, God, I've got to take a plan in my hand. I've got to interrupt your plan. I've got to make another plan with another person or another thing, God. I've got to interject my own help. I've got to help you, God, because this apparently is too hard for you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, there's a lot of lies that go on the Internet. And if you've lost a loved one and if you said this... Uh, I hope that you'll understand I'm saying this to help and teach you. But when people die, sometimes people put on the Internet that said, Heaven has gained another angel. Not true. <laughs> Angels were created beings. Human beings are created beings. When you go to heaven, you don't become an angel. If you don't understand that, go back to a series we did on Revelation and, and look at that. People don't become angels. Another lie that I believe that's really apropos here that people have believed is that God never puts on you more than you can handle. If that's true, I'm misunderstanding something. There's a lot of times in my life I had more in me than I could handle. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know which way was up. I didn't know how to turn. I didn't know how to get out of this funk. I didn't know how to get past that financial barrier. There's been plenty of times in my life when God put more on me than I could handle because then I learned that he can handle it. God puts more on you than you can handle because he wants you to turn the handle over to him. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me ask you this. What in your life do you think is too hard for the Lord? As I look out, I see people in different places in life. People who've lost loved ones. People who are struggling in their marriage. People who've lost a mom. People who have struggles at home and at work. And I, I see people, and my heart bleeds for you. But listen, what you need to understand today is there's nothing too hard for the Lord. I'm on a pilgrimage. I must trust God's promises. I need to exercise patience. I rely on his power. And finally, I surrender as my proof. Proof of what? Proof that I believe God. Proof that I trust God. I surrender as my proof. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. That was an act of complete surrender of the most precious thing in his life. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. When he had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. Can I ask you a question this morning? What is your Isaac? What is your Isaac? Something that's precious to you, maybe from the old past life. An addiction, a chain, a relationship, a habit, a thought process 
that's become so precious to you that you're not willing to give it back to God. I can tell you right now, whatever that is and whatever came to your mind right now, that's the thing that's hanging you up in your life. That's the thing that's keeping you from getting from where you've been to where you need to go. That's a stumbling block for you. It's a stronghold in your life. What is your Isaac? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Victory comes through surrender. In the Christian life, victory comes through surrender. God, take this, whatever it is. And here's a, a, a saying that I learned years ago, and this applies to Abraham and Isaac. This applies to you and your finances, you and your mate, you and your children, you and your church, you and your hurt. Whatever you have, whatever you have, hold it with an open hand. When you got a closed fist, you become tense about it. Your blood pressure goes up. You have to take pills for your anxiety because you're holding on too tight. Whatever you have, hold it with an open hand and say, God, it's yours. What's your Isaac that you're holding on to and refusing to submit? Whatever that is, it's holding you up in your life. I want to give you an acronym for Isaac. Okay, first of all, how many of you know how to spell Isaac? If you think you do, raise your hand. I'm not going to bring you up here and have you spell it. It's I-S-A-A-C. Kind of a weird spelling. To help you remember this message today, uh, what is your Isaac? I'm going to give you this acronym. And you can, you can read it two ways. And you have to decide. Only you can decide which way you're going to make it read. The first and the preferred choice is I surrender absolutely all to Christ. I-S-A-A-C. I surrender absolutely all to Christ. I surrender absolutely all to Christ because he's worthy of your surrender. He's the only one that can help you through that. Here's a second option that's not desirable at all. But many of you will go home choosing this option today unless you decide to give it to God right now. Here's the other option. I surrender almost all to Christ. Oh, there's a world of difference. I surrender absolutely all to Christ, or I surrender almost all. God, everything but this, and this is not necessarily a wallet, although that's a good one. This represents whatever in your life you are unwilling to hold with an open hand and say, God, I surrender absolutely all to you. And whatever you're holding on to and you keep tight-fisted about is going to keep you from moving forward from where you've been to where you need to get. And the only way to get over that hump and to get past where you've been and to get to be like Jesus is to surrender absolutely all to Christ. Would you write this down as a next step today? I will wait patiently because I, I got a bigger perspective. I'll wait patiently while serving expectantly. I'm pa- I can be patient because I'm expecting a check in the mail. I can wait patiently because I'm expecting to get married next week. I can wait patiently because I'm expecting Jesus to come. I can wait patiently while serving expectantly 
in his power. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. Can I ask you one last convicting question? What are you not willing to surrender to Christ? I surrender almost all. What are you not willing to surrender completely to Christ? Now, here, I want us to do an exercise. What, the, the question is, what am I not willing to sacrifice to Christ and trust him with? On the count of three, I want you to all shout out what that is. No, I'm kidding. Because that person might be sitting right next to you, right? <laughs> I surrender all, I surrender absolutely all to Christ. That's the first choice. That's the only real viable choice if you want to get from where you've been to where you're going. Patiently. Or I surrender almost all. Some of you are going to walk out the door this morning if you make that second choice and you're going to still be defeated. You're going to still be in chains. You're going to still be anxious. You're going to still be knotted up holding on to that thing. Whereas if you give it over to God this morning, you can be free. You'll have different struggles tomorrow. Every day you're going to have struggles. But every day we say, God, open hand, open hand, open hand. Some of you need to come around this altar this morning. Sometimes in churches we don't like to call it altar because it's kind of Old Testament-like. But listen, in the passage today, Abraham offered his son up on an altar. People need to come around here and be praying and broken this morning. God, this is, I've been holding on to this for so long, so tight, that it's got me all knotted up. For some of us, it's pride. Been in the church a long time, know a lot of things, and we tend to be critical, supercritical, hypercritical of other people instead of a, a spirit of grace. People like me, we can suffer with that because we've been in the church a long time and we've studied the Bible. But the thing God hates most is pride. In fact, that's about what the Bible says God resists. Some of you, some of you it's pride. It's humbling yourself. But I'm going to ask in just a minute, when, when we start singing, I'm going to pray here at the altar and I'm going to commit these things that I'm holding on to to the Lord. I'm going to ask all of you who want to. There might be two people. My prayer is that the whole church would come and pray. And if you can't kneel because of your knees or because of your health, you don't have to do that. You can sit on the front row. You can whatever, however you can be comfortable in surrendering to God. But what is it that you're holding on to this morning that he's asking you to surrender? I believe God can turn our church around today if we all surrender. Would you pray with me? It may be that you've never surrendered your heart initially to Christ to become your Lord and Savior. You can do that today by saying, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe Jesus died for me. He was buried and rose again. Lord, I trust you to come into my life. You can call out to him today and become a believer. But this, and that's for you. But this message was predominantly aimed at those of you who know Jesus who are still holding on to something. And I'm going to ask that you get up and you come and stand and pray or kneel and pray or whatever you're comfortable with as a symbol to God that, God, I'm giving absolutely all to you today. Lord God, help us not to sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. And because of pride this morning to hold back on that which you've asked us to give to you. God, break through. Break through bitterness, anger, disappointment. 
break through lust and chains of bondage to pornography and immoral relationships. God, break through pride and judgmental and critical spirit. God, break through materialism that has us in its grip. God, break through your church today and do a great work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.